Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to your favorite one-stop shop for horror news, true crime, and real-life tales of the unexplained. Monsters at Midnight, The Revenge. Brought to you in a bi-weekly format, we post episodes every other Monday. That's right, we're on some sort of a schedule. I'm your host, your favorite escaped madman, loose on the airwaves, terrorizing your eardrums, Matt Schaefer. And I'm all by myself again this uh, week. Thank you to everyone who uh, gave me uh, feedback about the uh, last episode with Jake and Levon. It was a really fun episode, and again, I do apologize for uh, the sort of fucked audio situation. Um, I'm going to, in future episodes when I have guests on, I'm going to do more research on how to record direct sounds coming from uh, my computer instead of doing it the way we did it uh, because of that echo. Um, uh, So another, uh, but another uh, installment on weird audio issues. Uh, Over the weekend, because of the new year and the holiday, um, no one has been around uh, in my apartment complex, like, uh, office or maintenance wise. And there is a smoke detector in the hallway. And now the cat's screaming. That's going to be the other part of this conversation. There's a smoke detector in the hallway right outside my apartment that has just been beeping all weekend. And I submitted a work order and no one has gotten to it yet. So I'm recording in my bedroom, which means the cat is not around and will probably get upset and start screaming at some point. So Monsters at Midnight, where every episode it seems like we have a new audio catastrophe to deal with, but uh, I appreciate you all for listening regardless. I hope you had a happy holiday, uh, whatever you choose to celebrate, and Happy New Year to you as well, 2023. I uh, just got a, saw a post on Instagram that the weekend's Dawn FM record came out uh, one year ago, like this week, and that's it's just nuts to me because I feel like I was just listening to that album, but uh, regardless, I digress. Let's get started. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn out the lights. Monsters at motherfucking midnight. The revenge rides again. Gonna start off with uh, just a quick little review of Ryan Johnson's new film, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Uh, if you remember, uh, I believe we reviewed Knives Out on the podcast, but if you remember, I'm a big fan of Knives Out. I thought it was a well-constructed mystery. I thought all the characters were super fun and memorable, and the cast was just stacked to absolute shit. Um, Daniel Craig is an absolute delight as this Benoit Blanc character. So when it was announced that uh, more uh, Benoit Blanc mysteries were going to be in the work, in the works, uh, I was very excited about that. So Glass Onion has, uh, is now out, available on Netflix. It did uh, like a week uh, showing in um, theaters. Uh, I believe, I believe that was some sort of bargain, uh, that, like, Ryan Johnson really had to fight for with Netflix, which is just 
sad to me that <laughs> movies just aren't being released theatrically anymore. I mean, it makes sense, and it was a long time coming, but it it's still, like, sad. Uh, but it's finally on Netflix now for any one of you, and it's good. Uh, I do not like it nearly as much as I like Knives Out, and I think a lot of that has to do with the supporting characters. Um, the supporting characters in Knives Out it really walked a delicate line of being well-rounded, believable characters while still being just, like, shitty and assholes. And writing assholes in movies is very difficult to do and do consistently and make them funny or interesting um, and not have them just be, like, obnoxious people. That's not the case in Glass Onion. Uh, all of the side characters are absolutely two-dimensional, just shallow, miserable, obnoxious characters. So much to the point that, like, for the first probably 30 minutes of this movie, I thought that, yep, there goes Bella, just screaming away. I'm right here, don't worry. Um, I really thought that maybe they missed the mark this time that maybe knives out was a one trick pony and maybe it just it wasn't going to work out right the same way because the first 30 minutes of this movie are tough to sit through mainly because of just how obnoxious these characters are some of it is funny like very few moments of it are funny but most of the time, you're on this deserted island, or not deserted island, this, like, private island um, that Edward Norton's character owns with just these rotten scumbag characters who aren't likable, and you don't really feel any sort of way beyond, like, their, their like, caricature-like caricature archetypes. So Daniel Craig is really doing the heavy lifting. I mean, he does throughout the majority of the movie, to be honest, but he really does the heavy lifting in the first 30 minutes. But even that wasn't enough. Now, because it is uh, like a, a Benoit Blanc mystery, there is that sort of moment where we step back and see the big picture, like in uh, Clue, the, like, this is what how it really happened sort of thing. And the movie picks up substantially from that point onwards. Uh, some of it is kind of predictable. Like, uh, I can't say I was too surprised by uh, who the actual murderer was, but getting there eventually became a delight when you finally see the big picture, and it made me, real it made me realize, like, okay, so this isn't just as... This just isn't as tightly written as Knives Out, but the core fundamentals of why this little series is so interesting and so fun are still there. Um, it becomes this, like, quirky little whodunit, like you would expect if uh, um, you're a fan of Knives Out. But I don't think this movie is going to stick the landing for everyone because, like I said, the side characters are so just obnoxious. And, like, again, intentionally so, but obnoxious nonetheless. And it has this really... It has this really weird forced uh, narrative about COVID, which I have like mixed opinions on because I like that uh, we're sort of 
art as a form of like is now trying to deal with everything that happened in, in between 2020 and now but also like simultaneously really just like puts it in this bubble of uh time and i kind of like when i watch a movie ignoring <laughs> well not ignoring but like getting the escape isms and stuff like that from the harsh realities of the world um which funny enough will come up later in today's episode but it's just it seemed sort of odd and also just like kind of pointless um because it's just like i don't know it's just like seemed like this sort of way to almost score brownie points it's like don't worry we're all gonna we're gonna answer the question why all these people are meeting on this island during the middle of pan of pandemic and it's like well it could have just also not been a pandemic but uh glass onion is fun i gave it a four out of five on letterboxd uh once it gets going it really becomes a lot more fun the mystery is engaging and uh even some of the problems i have with the characters are resolved because they're uh less of a focus and more just like backdrop to this ongoing mystery but it is really that first third that is tough to get through but and that's why i think this movie might not stick the landing for some people some people might not be able to get over that as uh much as i could and that's totally fair but I gave it a 4 out of 5. Again, you can follow me on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash madflamingo. For any, uh, I try to review everything that I see. Uh, so if you want any opinions of mine over on stuff non-horror related, stuff that I don't usually get to talk about as much on the podcast, you can follow me there. Uh, got I was doing reviews of uh, Christmas movies. So, uh, of course, did finally did like... Uh, reviews of die hard and die hard 2 and bill murray's uh scrooged uh so you can check out stuff like that there but we're gonna get to the meat and potatoes of today's episode uh still i mean we had kind of a like a warm front move through uh last week as if the week before didn't try to kill us um saw that meme somewhere like this weather being all springy and cute and shit like a week ago didn't try to kill us so we lost a lot of the snow that we had on the ground but my christmas tree's still up it's technically still the christmas season um which actually uh begins on christmas and goes into the beginning of january so i want to talk about i want to do uh, another old versus new segment and uh this one's actually going to be interesting because it's going to be an old versus new versus newer. We're going to talk about one of my favorite horror movies, Black Christmas, and the not one, but two remakes that it's had. Um, although it's generous to call one of them a remake, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, Black Christmas is a, was a low-budget, independent uh, horror film released uh, made in Canada and released in 1974 I believe I believe it, I mean it's had like different titles when it like did uh, like the drive uh, in circuits and stuff like that 
Um, one of which I I'm I want I keep wanting to say Silent Night Deadly Night, but that's not it. That's a different movie entirely. Um, Silent Night Evil Night is one of the other like titles that it had, but it's most predominantly known as Black Christmas. I believe the title was actually changed when it was shown in America to Silent Night Evil Night because black exploitation films were such a big thing, and marketers didn't want to confuse people as to why everyone in the movie is white. But it's directed by Bob Clark, who would also go on to direct the... Uh, immensely popular uh, Christmas classic A Christmas Story which still shows 24 hours uh, every Christmas on TNT and TBS and stuff like that but it tells a little story about this uh, group of sorority sisters who are uh, uh, in the midst of like right on the break of uh, right on the brink of uh, going home for Christmas break are getting these uh, obscene phone calls in their uh, sorority house. And it's not really a spoiler because you see, figure it out pretty early on in the movie. They are being stalked and eventually killed by this killer who is hiding out in their attic. And this movie is interesting for a couple of reasons. For one, it's one of the earliest examples of like what we know as the slasher formula. It predates uh, Halloween. It was released the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So like between th these two, these are sort of the ones that sort of laid the groundwork for... Um, uh, Sorry, I just got a gift on Steam. That was very nice. Uh, laid the groundwork for what we've come to know as the slasher genre. Um, and it's also interesting because this is the first, probably the first cinematic example of the calls are coming from inside the house. Uh, a handful of years later, when A Stranger Calls would be released, and sort of became the more famous use of this trope. But for my money, Black Christmas is an infinitely better movie. I, th I think When a Stranger Calls is one of the most boring things I've ever seen, despite having an incredible first 20 minutes. But Black Christmas, is, if you have not seen it, is an incredible, incredible horror movie. It is... One of the few horror movies that every time I watch it still manages to get under my skin. And a lot of that comes down to this killer. The killer in this film is one of the most upsetting and creepy, just like, ugh, just like gross killers in a horror movie. And what the most terrifying thing about him is you don't know a single thing about him. Uh, and what's so brilliant about it is the fact that all of like all the knowledge that we have of this killer is comes from these obscene phone calls that he is calling to the sorority house that are just so disturbing. They're when the the for the filmmaking aspect of it. I know that it's like multiple different people 
doing like these strange voices and like obscene no noises but in the context of the movie you're like what the fuck is happening to this dude it just sounds like he's convulsing and like just doing voices and we'll get into this later with uh, Black Christmas 2006 but the killer is sort of become known as Billy because in the phone calls he references uh, Billy, he references Billy uh, when he, in a couple scenes when he's about to kill someone. Um, he says, it's me, Bill, it's me, Billy, and he always refers to the girls as Agnes. And just coupled that with uh, all the other, like, uh, layered uh, conversations, if you will, that you hear in these phone calls, it really paints this nauseating picture of, like, who this person could be. And, like, that alone is, like, super scary to me. Because, like, it's, tr like, the old, like, cliche, like, it truly is up to your own imagination, like, who this guy is, and what he's done in his past, and why he is so fucking angry. Um, but yeah, like, it, it's, these phone calls are, like, one of the best parts of this movie. They just paint these rich, disgusting, terrifying images of who this killer can be. And beyond that, this movie just, like, looks and sounds fantastic. There's this real, just, like, moody, deep, dark, rich, uh, contrast-heavy lighting scheme throughout everything. Like, the, the nights are so dark. Like, just so black. And inside, there's just a lot of, like, shadows used and flickering, like, lights and, uh, like, uh, fireplaces and stuff like that. It's, it's, if it wasn't such a terrifying movie, there'd be something about it that would almost be cozy. About just, like, being, like, in the warmth of the fire on this pitch black winter night. But there's nothing cozy about this movie. Um... You've, and it, a lot of that comes to do with the fact that you know that the killer is on, inside the house. You truly feel like he could be in every shadow. You never feel safe anywhere. Um, couple that with the fact that I, I love all of the characters in this movie. They all have their own sort of like rich, unique personality. And a great cast, too, for being such a low-budget film. Uh, Olivia Hussey. Which who was more of a like an art house darling uh, at the time, but uh, and again Margot Kidder that was uh, probably before she got super big, but you have like Kier Delay, who was the lead in 2001: A Space Odyssey, and John Saxon who was super big in America at the time because of uh, Enter the Dra excuse me Enter the Dragon. So again, I guess getting him would make more sense because it like it would be more in like the grindhouse sort of circuit. But like just phenomenal actors in this movie, all super. It's a super well cast movie and well written movie too. Like you, excuse me, you get to know all of these characters and they all feel richly. Uh, 
like their own. And uh, none of it feels super tacky or forced. It feels very genuine. Um, and whether, and there is some, like, and whether it's, like, how this little, there's this little part in the beginning where uh, Margot Kidder's character uh, is on the phone with her mom, and you hear the disappointment in her voice when it's implied that, like, her mom has gone off with, like, her new boyfriend for the holidays, and now she basically has nowhere to go for the holidays. And you hear this, like, genuine disappointment in her voice, and then it starts to paint a broader picture of why Margot Kidder's character is, like, always drunk, always lashing out at people, and, you know, like, a lesser movie, <laughs> not getting it to it yet, in a lesser movie, it wouldn't be held, like, it, they would just be an asshole, or a drunk, or a bimbo, or whatever else, but... In this, there's just, like, little moments for each character that paint a broader picture as to who they are as a person. And that leads to, of course, our main character, Jess, who is played by Olivia Hussey. Now, the thing that a lot of people remember about this movie is that there is a very serious, very, very mature and very, at the time, taboo uh, subplot about Jess being pregnant but not wanting to keep the baby. And especially given that this movie came out a year after Roe v. Wade, this is was incredibly heavy subject material. What's so fascinating and so brilliant about this movie is that it it handles it all so well. Like, I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. Jess's boyfriend, who is played by Kier Delay, Peter, is very it's is very vehemently against just getting an abortion however you you understand why Jess wouldn't want to have this child as a college student and what makes this plot device so incredibly powerful is not only because of the fact that it establishes Jess as a strong independent free-thinking woman in the early in cinema in the early 70s when that still was an issue that a lot of movies were grappling with it also works into the storyline for the movie itself as well because now we don't necessarily trust peter the big thing about this movie is it sets up the potential that peter could be the killer and you start to think about how like maybe this could trigger something and especially given like the context of the phone calls granted that's not the case spoiler alert i i always forget i'm so bad with spoiler tags <laughs> um there's gonna be spoilers for all of these movies um but it works in the context of this movie because it is it is just such a good way of of leading on the viewer into deeper into this mystery and it also is just a great way of establishing how powerful our lead character is and how smart our lead character is and i'm 
super thankful that like there is a phenomenal uh, write up I saw in this movie. I think uh, um, the Criterion Collection published like a write up on like feminism and horror movie, and one of their female like uh, journalists wrote about this movie. This is phenomenal uh, write up on it, but it's. Everything about this movie is just... I'm not really, like, <laughs> analyzing anything at this point. I'm just kind of rambling. But I only bring up the the topic of the subplot. Because the thing is, like, the subplot about the abortion is truly just a subplot. It provides context for our lead heroine. And also uh, is sort becomes sort of a red herring for the mystery of this film. I only bring it up because it is going to be exceptionally important to talk about when we come to Black Christmas 2019. But that is sort of my take on this movie, is it's way ahead of the curve in terms of slasher movies, feminist pieces, and uh, just like horror movies in general. This movie is absolutely fantastic. It is still one of my favorite horror movies. I try to watch it every Christmas season. And it still, to this day, absolutely gets under my skin. I highly recommend the 1974 Black Christmas. Um, but, of course, during the remake craze of the early 2000s, we come to Black Christmas 2006. Which was actually produced by Bob Clark. Executive produced, I should say. And it was directed and written by... One moment here. It's directed and written by Glenn Morgan. Who... <laughs> the only other thing he has directed is the Crispin Glover remake of Willard. And he also produced... Final Destination 1 and 3? And he wrote Final Destination 1 and 3. He, this guy really hasn't done a whole lot. Um, do with that information what you will. So, Black Christmas 2006 is one of those movies that I've heard about, have been hearing about for a long time, because it's, it's sort of one of those notorious exercises in bad taste um, when horror movies in the early 2000s were trying to really up the ante and just being, like, gross and shocking. And this movie isn't torture porn, but it definitely is, like, coming off of the torture porn craze that was exploding during the early 2000s. It's just, like, how vicious and gross and appalling can we be? And honestly, that's always kind of interested me about this film because this movie actually came out before Rob Zombie's Halloween, which is fascinating to me because there are a lot of similarities between this and Rob Zombie's Halloween, but there's also a lot of similarities between Black Christmas and the original Halloween. But again, I've always said, like I've been saying, if you're going to remake something, make it your own, do a new twist on it. So... Instead of the incredibly moody, suspenseful, and subtle original Black Christmas, why not do it really loud, really vicious, and really tasteless? 
Um, so it's always kind of intrigued me, and a couple of my buddies, shouts to Charlie if you're listening, really, really dig this movie. So I finally, I sat down and watched it last night, and I'm not super impressed by it. Um, really, this is a weird movie. I don't hate this movie, but there's just not a whole lot about it that I think works super well. Um... It's just a weird fucking movie. <laughs> uh, the plot is essentially the same. Uh, the biggest difference being that we go in extreme depth into the backstory of Billy and Agnes. Which again, cool, fine. Make it your own. That's essentially what Rob Zombie would do with his Halloween. And those are the parts I like the most about this movie. When it's a, in the flashback scenes to Billy and Agnes's childhood, it is essentially an exploitation film. It is some of the most just like unapologetically gross shit that you could imagine about how like and it has like everything. It has like uh, has a child with a rare disease that the mother doesn't love, that they lock in the attic. It has murder. It has incest. It has, and it has, you know, killing mom and <laughs> making making Christmas cookies out of her skin. <laughs> when the movie is in these like super gross flashbacks, it is at its absolute best because it is just un so unapologetically fucked up that I can't help but applaud it. And it's also just like it like again like kind of paints the bigger picture like I, I mean I definitely prefer the original uh film where you come to your own conclusions about who Billy and Agnes are and what happened to them. But this is certainly one way it could have gone and boy howdy is it entertaining. Now the rest of the movie, when we're just hanging out with the sorority girls in their sorority house, is fucking dumb. Like, it is... None of the characters in this work or are likable or engaging. Like, I made a big point to bring up how, like, unique and individual the characters are in the first... in the original because that is just simply not the case in this movie because none of them speak with any sort of voice or personality it's all so just 2006 like cringe sassy boss bitch energy and but not in a likable or like fun way and just like a really like th this is written by a dude who doesn't know how to write for women in college um the most interesting thing about this movie is that uh the lady who played barb in the original is now back playing the the uh house mother uh mrs mac who is i forgot to mention mrs mac is probably my favorite character in the original everything every moment with her in that movie is fucking gold uh, but it was cool seeing her back in this, uh, character, except for the fact that Mrs. Mac is, like, so 
neutered in this version. She's just, like, such a boring character. There's one moment where she, like, snaps and kind of reminds me of the Miss Mac in the original, but, like, she really doesn't have a whole lot to do. It's really just a cameo for the sake of getting a cameo, but it is, it was nice seeing that actress back. Um... But this, yeah, this movie just does not work on so many levels. Like, they're they're constantly just making the most laughably dumb decisions. I mean, again, I'm a horror fan. I have no problem suspending my disbelief in slasher movies. But there's, like, one point where two of the girls are arguing about how they just need to get the fuck out of the house... And other girls are like, no, we're staying. We don't know if they're dead yet. And we're not going to leave and have them come back to an empty house. It's like, oh my god. Like, just, and shit like that. It was just like, people always going where they shouldn't be going. And confusingly enough, like, this movie... This movie, st- like, try swings for the fan- fences in some regards, tries to be its own standalone movie, but and then, in other ways, is annoyingly adhering to the format of the original, where there's, like, three characters that are introduced that are kind of weird or shady or seem to be up to no good, and the movie appears to be like suggesting that one of them could be the killer but we literally know they're not the killer because we've already seen i mean (laughs) well and here's the other thing too there is a twist to this movie there's not just one killer in the house uh which it again isn't much of a twist you'd kind of have to be like legally brain dead to not see it coming but like we see billy escape from the sanitarium so we already know that he's that these other people especially one of them is like one of the girl's boyfriends we know that they're not the killers but they are trying to like i it seems like they're trying to suggest that they are or trick the audience or play up the mystery like the original did but it just doesn't work when we literally know who the killers are because the movie is just hammering it in quite literally <laughs> with a plastic bag over the head um so i mean ultimately i didn't find this movie that remarkable uh there are things i do like about it like i like all the flashback stuff i like i think it's a pretty looking movie i like the the christmas like lighting it tries to capture some of like the hard contrasty like shadow looks and cinematography uses a lot of like imposing like threatening angles to it it's a nice looking movie especially for like 2006 when a lot of horror movies were looking like dog ass um it is a nice looking movie but that's uh Oh, I forgot to mention, too, with the original Black Christmas, it has this incredibly menacing, moody score by uh, Carl Zittrer, I believe his name is. This is the most, like, disposable, like, canned horror movie soundtrack I've ever heard. And it's just, it really shows, like, just how (laughs) much everything works so much better in the original Black Christmas. Um... 
Because this movie, like I said, this movie still, like, has one foot in trying to be reverent to the original, but one foot in, like, batshit, like, exploitation, lunacy, and the script just isn't tight enough to support either of them. Like, I didn't think this movie was as shocking or tasteless. I mean, like, it certainly is, but, like, it, it, like, if the entire, if it was sustained through the entire movie, like, if, I don't know, if this was, like, truly, like, Rob Zombie's fucking Black Christmas, I think this movie would work better if just, like, everyone was a miserable fuck and, like, gross and everything, but, um, it's, so, it's just, nothing about this movie really grabbed me. Um, it ultimately felt really kind of bland and forgettable, and also it's just padded to shit. This movie, like, has two endings, and when I, like, by the time, like, you think the movie's about to wrap up and we get to a new location and it's still going, I checked the runtime, there's still, like, 15 minutes left. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what the, f how much, what could we possibly have to do still? Uh, it's... It's, it's, like I said, it's a weird movie. I don't hate this movie. I just ultimately am not super impressed by it. Um, I like I like the flashback stuff. I think it's a very pretty looking movie, but that's about it. Uh, this movie feel this movie is trying too hard. I think that's the best way to put it. Is it's trying too hard in some regards to be this really gross down and dirty slasher movie and it but it's simultaneously trying too hard to be a remake of black christmas and those two ideas don't gel up super well so it just results in this really confused not well written horror movie um if you want a movie that's f from roughly the same time period actually i think that the movie i'm about to talk about came out a few years later but um, that is also kind of a remake of another Christmas horror movie. Check out the movie Silent Night. Uh, Silent Night is, I mean, it's not really a remake. It's more like a spiritual successor to Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, if you want some just unapologetic, batshit, Christmas misery and bloodshed and violence, that movie is far more entertaining than Black Christmas 2006. I would recommend Silent Night. I believe that's 2012. It's got Malcolm McDowell in it, which is hilarious to me, but... I think that movie succeeds more at the things that this movie is trying to do than uh, Black Christmas 2006 to, uh, 2006 does. Ugh. But wait, there's more. Ugh. Black Christmas 2019. Uh, th th this I don't even really want to talk about this movie. Here's the thing about Black Christmas 2019. We, t we talked about this on the podcast when the trailer first dropped. Uh, big deal. Bloomhouse produced. Friday the 13th, December 2019 release date. But the trailer literally gives away who the killers are in that movie. And also PG-13 rating. There was no reason for me to want to watch this movie until I started seeing reviews for it. And, again, this is just, this is a weird fucking movie. Um, not good. Not good at all. But ultimately, like, I don't 
really hate this one either. Like, I just feel so unrem like unmoved or unaffected. Ooh, excuse me, unaffected by this movie. This movie has even less to do. This movie has absolutely nothing to do with Black Christmas. It is wild that it's called that it's even labeled as a remake of Black Christmas. It's uh if <laughs> if anything the Black Christmas, the black part of the title uh has to do with black magic. Uh yeah, we're going to be spoiling the fuck out of this one. Um, I was doing some research about this movie because I was trying to make it make sense. Remember what I was talking about, the like smart and evocative uh, subplot about Justice Abortion and the original Black Christmas? This movie is written and directed by women who are very passionate feminists, which I think is great. We need more of that uh especially on the horror filmmaking side of things. However, it is exceptionally clear that they only wanted to make a feminist piece and somehow decided to shoehouse it in, shoehorn it in into a Bloomhouse film and they had the rights to Black Christmas, so they made it a Black Christmas film. This movie... I don't want to be just another dude dogpiling on this movie because this movie is very politically aware. It, it, it has to do with very serious topics about gender and especially, like, uh, for lack of a better phrase, rape culture on college campuses, which is a very scary thing. And very, I keep burping. If you're playing the Monsters of Midnight drinking game, you're probably toasted by this point. Um, it's a very scary thing, and if handled properly, could make a very provocative and exciting and terrifying horror movie. And this movie doesn't do that. And the problem comes down to the fact that... I just read something on Wikipedia that the director, whose name is Sophia Tikal, I think her name is, wanted to make this film as feminist as possible. And it makes me wonder if maybe the script was longer. If, like, there was just problems with editing or something. But then, like, I read also read that they wanted this to be a PG-13, super accessible horror film for, like, young women interested in horror to see this and hear these discussions, which, again, is commendable. The th but the, what is so confusing to me is that everything in this movie is so by the numbers until it is wildly not... <laughs> None of these characters feel like real characters because they are just spouting like like these political messages. And that's like the entirety of their characters. It is genuinely if and this is me personally talking if, like, this... I've seen semi-positive reviews of this movie, or I've seen, like, 
reviews from women that have latched onto this movie, and I think that's wonderful. If this movie worked for you, that's great. This movie does not work for me because I don't know anything about these characters other than, like, the cause they are fighting for. And just because you... And, like, these are all ideals that are super important to me, too. But, like, just because I may agree with these characters and what they're fighting for doesn't mean I find them interesting as characters. Because, like, they're not addressing anything in any sort of, like, meaningful way. It's all back and forth that you hear at, like, every... Like, you hear probably at, like, a high school debate club right now. Where it's just, like, not all men. Did you really just not all men me? This, that, and the other thing. We're trying to be fighters. I can't... I'm not strong enough to be like you. There's just... There's nothing... Like, there's nothing interesting about what they're saying beyond the fact that what they're talking about is provocative. It doesn't make for provocative characters just because what they're talking about is provocative. Now, that's one thing. On top of the fact that this movie is so aggressively not scary, and, like, I don't hate this movie, again just so unaffected by this movie. But but given the fact that this is just like one of the most not scary horror movies that I've seen, this is one of the worst horror movies that I've seen. Everything about this movie is so paint-by-numbers and so just like milquetoast because it is a PG-13 movie. There's nothing super exciting or there's nothing scary and even coming down to, like, what the killers wear, these, like, just stupid black robes and dumb masks, it's like, this isn't scary. And again, uh, it's frustrating because, like, I, I, I'm sure that everyone's intentions were good behind the scenes. Maybe if the movie was longer, maybe if, like... If, like, some of these bigger ideas had, like... No, I can't even say that, because, like, this movie needs, like, a ground one rewrite. Because when you get to the reveal of what is happening in this movie, it is so batshit, laughably stupid, but it is played so razor-straight that I just don't understand, actually understand who this movie is for. I understand that, like, the directors and the writers wanted to reach a broader audience, young women interested in horror, who could go to a PG-13 movie and hear these important ideas discussed. That's valid. But the plot of this movie is so, like, insultingly stupid that I don't know who in their right mind would, like, take this seriously as a horror film. Because, A, it's not scary. Everyone killed is, like, either off-screened to death or, like, it cuts super early. And the reveal of this movie where, like, the sexist and racist founder of this college, the bust is leaking this black goo that turns frat bros into this army 
of unstoppable killing machines because the founder practiced black magic and knew that someday women would be have too much of a voice and is, and is now using frat bros to kill sorority girls and it's it's played so straight that i just don't understand who thought like who this movie is for because like any intelligent free thinking smart independent woman is still going to think this movie is fucking stupid <laughs> and that's like and that's even like i can cuz i can see some like I can see someone really latching on to the characters if, like I said, it's all subjective. I personally need more actual personality for my characters beyond, like, just what they believe in in my movies. But, like, if that's your bag, dope. I bet you could, like, latch on to these characters and want to root for them and stuff like that. But, like, when the rev I don't... I can't imagine finding this movie, like engaging or interesting or good or just anything because of just how laughably stupid the reveal is and how seriously it takes itself but also it's just so painfully not scary the and what's funny about this is like again nothing about it is black christmas it's wild but you know what this movie did make me think of the exorcist 3 because the only the only legitimately like good scare in this movie is shot for shot ripped off from The Exorcist Three. This is two Black Christmases, two Black Christmas remakes, both of them not good, both of them super fucking weird, both of them for completely different reasons. What a time to be alive. I forgot to mention in this too, like there's a the sorority has a cat in the original named Claude. I think it's uh, the house mother Miss Max cat. And I honestly had to laugh because this feminist make it as feminist as possible remake of Black Christmas. The cat's name is Claudette. I was like, I can't tell if this is the stupidest thing or the the most brilliant thing about this movie. It's somehow both. Um, this movie is just like... It's just a, a... For me personally, just a waste of time. All the topics, while important, are not addressed in any sort of meaningful or tactful or interesting way. The majority... And the, the, I wouldn't be harping on it so much if... For well, a because Black Christmas handled adult mature topics and actually had it be relevant to the story and like made for interesting character dilemmas and made it all the more terrifying too. And the other reason I'm harping on it is because that is like ninety percent of this movie is just it's like it forgets to be a horror movie like it is it's and that's why it's truthfully like at least they were like transparent about it they're like we're gonna make a feminist film and but then they're like oh but we have this pedigree of this like amazing well-loved horror film so we need to like try and make it a horror film too but 
it is so remarkably not scary that like this final fi stupid melodramatic final climactic battle with the frat and the sorority girls in this basically like this temple in the frat house it's just stupid and just like it's just a waste of talent too like Imogen Poots and Carrie Elway's I don't know what the fuck they're doing in this movie. I've seen them in things that I really like them in. I fucking love Carrie Elway's. Even when he's not ex exceptionally good. Like, I still love him in Saw. Um, and Imogen Poots is phenomenal in Green Room. Like, you can tell they didn't have a whole lot of help in the directing aspect. Because, like, I mean, if, if the trailer didn't give it away, like, from the jump, you know Carrie Elway's this character as, like, this sexist, like, problematic uh, college professor is going to be involved in all of this somehow. Because he, every line he delivers is like this. And he just, he sounds like he should be wringing his hands and twiddling his mustache the entire time. Because he's, ugh, God, this, uh... <laughs> this is just such like oh duh, god lord I can't it is just I I cannot believe I find it hard to believe that anyone would take this movie seriously like there's one thing with like agreeing with the ideals and happy that the like politics are getting a voice in this movie and then there's like actually enjoying the movie <laughs> on its own right because this movie is just so insufferably, like, insultingly stupid that I just, it's, it's baffling, honestly. And again, it's somehow so unremarkable because, like, I've learned nothing from it. It's not scary. It, 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 yeah, yeah. And just the fact that it's PG-13, too. So it's like, okay, like, we really can't have any sort of adult conversation about anything because the, th the thematic implications would give us an R rating. We can't be too violent. It's just... What a waste of time. <laughs> I'm glad I uh, found some sort of streaming link for this movie instead of renting it because it was an absolute waste of time. Uh, and again, I'm even hard-pressed to say that I hated this movie because I'm just like, I was just like so unaffected by it until it was some of the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. Um, well, there you go. Um, old versus new versus newer. Uh, unsurprisingly, old wins, like handily. But, I, I don't know, if either of those movies pique your interest, like, give them a watch and let me know what you think. I, on Letterboxd, gave uh, Black Christmas 2006 a 2.5 out of 5. Again, because, like, I like aspects of it. I like that it's kind of trying something new, but ultimately is pretty insufferably stupid and padded to shit. And I gave Black Christmas 2019 a 1 star, because it is just so unremarkable and uninteresting and not scary and when it's until it is some of the dumbest shit that i've ever seen um but yeah if you haven't seen black christmas the original you should do that <laughs> if you learned anything from this episode you said you should check out the original black christmas um god like 
Well, there you go. I think we'll call that an episode. Uh, if you have seen those movies or uh, are curious to check them out, and let, let me know what you think about any of the Black Christmas movies or what you thought of Glass Onion. Uh, shoot us an email at monsters.midnight at gmail.com. Midnight spelt incorrectly, M-I-D-N-I-T-E. Um, you can slide into our DMs at Facebook, um, Instagram. We do have a YouTube channel that you can subscribe to. Again, there's really not a whole lot on it yet, but hopefully in the future there will be more content coming there. Uh, but, yeah, follow us everywhere. And, uh, yeah, uh, happy holidays to you all. Happy New Year. And uh, I'll catch you when the sun sinks below the horizon again. Uh, two Mondays from now. Thank you very much. Have a good night.